real big picture is what if the cost of indulgence becomes zero it's something to ponder on and i i don't think even if we went back a few years ago we would have thought is it really possible look when we started this company at work 2014 and 15 we were all debating about ai and the first company probably to come up with an ai platform that could be used in the context of large enterprises then we believe that ai can be a significant game changer for enterprises and the larger society is society at large as well and you know infosys was one of the early backers of the possibilities of ai early backers of the open ai core and it's come a long way in the last 8 years and we can see that intelligence actually the cost of intelligence can become zero hi wherever you're listening to us i hope you're doing well Welcome to the Daily Tech Conversation where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs and investors. I'm Hari Arakli and in this episode Satish Sitaramayya, CEO of Edgeworth Systems, the products and platforms subsidiary of Infosys, talks about why it is inevitable that everything that can be automated, especially in the enterprise business context, will eventually get automated. Not only that, but the idea of what is automatable itself is changing every day he points out just look at the capabilities of chat gpt satish also talks about the three digital platforms at edgeworth that today some 400 of the world's 2000 biggest companies are using and he leaves you with a point to ponder what if the cost of intelligence were to become zero Satish thank you so much for making time for this and of course uh, welcome to this podcast glad to be speaking to you hari and uh, delighted and to be having a conversation with you okay excellent thank you so much again of course nobody needs to provide an introduction to infosys in general i think for a more general audience uh, more specifically if you could give us a quick snapshot of edgeworth uh, what it's all about today and maybe a little bit of its history and we'll get going from there Sure, sure. Wonderful. Um, see, Edgeworth is a wholly owned subsidiary of Infosys. Uh, we are a global leader in engineering automation and AI-enabled digital platforms. Uh, we began our journey in 2014, around that time frame, and uh, you know we have you know we leverage these digital platforms to help enterprises. become more agile more responsive and actually very well connected with their customers uh, value chain partners and employees and ever since the beginning of this company you know we have tried to uh, conceptualize different digital platforms that will serve this purpose of uh, some of the large enterprises that we work with and we have three digital platforms right now one in the intelligent automation space called as assistage the other one is in the document digitization space called as extractage and the third was in the is in the supply chain platform space called tradeage and all these three platforms are currently being leveraged by over 400 uh, global 2000 customers we help them essentially discover and automate all of these processes that are there help them digitize and manage you know move from you know unstructured data to structured data and also help them connect with their value chain partners so edgeworth you know as a company hari is uh, very has a deep rooted entrepreneurial culture 
And uh, and I'm happy to share that we were recognized as one of the most disruptive and innovative companies in, in 2022. All right. Give us also a little bit of a snapshot of uh, your own journey leading up to uh, running Edgeworth now. Yeah, so I've, I was one of the founding members of Edgeworth and um, been a privilege for me to kind of you know, manage this company. And prior to, you know, joining Edgeverb, I was in the consulting space. And even if you go before that, you know, I was in the early days of the IoT movement. In fact, uh, before it was even called IoT, and at that time, we only had one technology called RFID, and we were very busy trying to figure out how do we connect everything to everything. That was in 1999. And, uh, you know, I, along with a few other folks, we were instrumental in setting up a lab in MIT, which essentially became the, you know, which actually built some of the foundational capabilities and interoperability mm-hmm. standards that drive today's uh, IoT business. So, you know, my journey has been, you know, in the IoT space, AI automation space, and also in the supply chain arena. Okay. Just to give folks a sense of, uh, you know, uh, who you are and how long have you been at Infosys? Yeah, I've been at Infosys for the last uh, 17 years. Okay. Significant part of that is in the in the platforms and products division of Infosys, uh, and more than half of my journey has been with Edgeverb. And uh, and as I said, I was in the consulting division. Actually, I was in the IoT and uh, AI consulting division of Infosys prior to Edgeverb. In my sort of layman's terms, and again from a, from the perspective of a general listener. Uh, I, I see Edgeworth uh, from the point of view of building uh, uh, productized solutions, if I may put it that way. And then to provide a bit more context, one of the phrases that you mentioned, intelligent automation kind of uh, jumped out at me. I mean, uh, maybe you could give us a you know, sense of the significance of uh, the term. I mean, why is, uh, what is it from your perspective? Why has it become important? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting question. I think it may be a good way to start. If you take a step back, Hari, and look at robotics in general, uh, you know, you can broadly, and I would categorize them into physical robots and, and software robots, right? And and we're all aware of physical robots. We see so many of them out there doing different things. Similarly, you know, we have these software robots, which, you know, the concept of this kind of, you know, the genesis of this was maybe eight, nine years. And we were actually, you know, it was in the forefront. You know, when one of the our platforms got conceptualized, it was not called as such, but this is exactly what we were trying to do. And today, you know, we can all be also, you know, use uh, and, and the word digital workers. And whenever we say digital workers, it's essentially a software robot. And intelligent automation that you picked up earlier, uh, you know, falls into this software robotic space. And it's pretty well known right now as RPA or robotic process automation. And this robotic process automation along with AI, you know, forms the foundational capability of what we today know as intelligent. And these uh, software robots, you know, they gain intelligence, you know, either humans teach them what to do, how to do, or they also have the ability to observe and learn, right? And so that's how they get better over time. And there are multiple benefits surrounding the space and there, there are a very number of applications where uh, these uh, digital workers have been deployed in large companies to 
drive efficiency and so on and so forth. I was just thinking that um, what are some of the biggest uh, problems that you solve for your enterprise customers today uh, through these platforms and in general uh, when it comes to getting more useful information out of all the data that they have? Just sort of walk us through how these things work. Yeah, sure. Uh, Hari, I think, you know, there is, in fact, I think probably around 70-80% of the data that's there in enterprises still remains unstructured, right? And maybe in documents or maybe in other forms which are not necessarily, you know, available for querying and understanding and so on and so forth from a computer standpoint. So there's a huge amount of information out there that enterprises uh, would love to tap into to learn. Uh, and then there is also data that is, uh, that's not codified, which is how humans really interface and work with systems. Uh, how are my processes actually executed today? And what we've seen through our own experience is uh, most enterprises really don't know how processes are executed. You know, they have standard operating procedures, but, you know, they're either outdated or at a level where, you know, machines really don't understand. So all of that is data that doesn't exist, which needs to be created and generated. Then if you look at also enterprises, you know, there's no enterprise obviously operating by itself. It has a value chain. It is sharing data with its either vendors or suppliers and distributors, uh, maybe upstream, downstream. And there is also this whole major issue of having different language, if you will, communicating that data, right? The same product, when it moves through supply chain, may be called A by one person, B by somebody, C by somebody, and the person who buys at the end, they call it something else. But at the end, it's the same. So, so there are mirrored, so there are lots of different issues and challenges around uh, handling this data. And obviously, you know, there is a large amount of data. There's large data as well. There is data. And so what our digital platforms do is help enterprises come to terms with data from all of these different angles that I mentioned, helping them to digitize data that is not digitized, helping them convert something that's not structured into something that's structured, helping them digitize the bits and processes to process, you know, uh, of the processes so they can you know, further figure out what do we automate, should we automate? Uh, helping them you know, connect with their value chain partners, making sure their data is all harmonized and they're all spe speaking the same language. So purely coming from a data angle, this is what the three dig digital platforms that we have help enterprises do. And, and, and obviously this becomes the foundation for all other value that get, gets derived and insights that gets derived on top of this uh, data. I mean, historically, even some information that is derived that was derived out of a, a big table or a, like a spreadsheet or whatever, even that was intelligence in some way. Uh, I think today the biggest difference is that uh, increasingly uh, some of this intelligence is coming, uh, you know, in an automated fashion from an artificial intelligence program. So, can you? Talk about what is the significance of this difference? Uh, why are people very, very excited about this? What's the big picture here? Because today we are not only talking about automation, but we are also talking about uh, automation based on artificial intelligence. Uh, so just uh, from your perspective, explain to us what's the big picture here? Yeah, brilliant question, Hari. I think, see, the big picture to me is really about, if you were to say, you know, 
what's the end goal is to make sure that humans actually do what they're really good at doing. You know, you know, we're really, you know, we from the young age we are good in creative. We innovate things. We have tremendous curiosity. We are great observers. We are very empathetic. You know, these are all empathy, innovation, creativity, having tremendous curiosity to solve problems. You know, this is what really we are at our core. This is instinct. These are instincts of us as humans. Mm. So, question is: Are really humans leveraging these instincts effectively during their work days? You know, if you just take a step back and look at what humans were doing on manufacturing floors, you know, 70, 80, 90 years ago, did, did really humans have to do that? Well, machines can do it. Today, machines do most of it, right? Humans verify, maybe humans check and validate. Similarly, if you were to just zoom back to the enterprise world today and in the context of, if I may call a cubicle worker, right? And all these, a lot of these work that many cubicle workers do got created because of the 90s and maybe late 80s, 90s and into 2000 ERP system, right? They, you know, they came into play into enterprises in the context of establishing standard operating procedures, best practices, and so on and so forth. But also along with it brought a lot of work that you can call as drudgery, right? You know, doing the same thing over and over, uh, simple things like purchase order. One may have to do that hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. Somebody may have built a career to do that. And there are thousands and thousands of such activities that humans do all over the world in different enterprises, which, which don't have to be done by humans. And, uh, and, and, and AI is already, you know, around us, right? We're using it knowingly or unknowingly in many decision-making that we do today. And even in the context of enterprises, I think AI will become part of everyday work. So, so there is the other big picture is about so what is this thing about future worker, right? If, if, if all of this were to come together, what would this future work really look like, worker look like? And I mentioned to you earlier about this whole thing about digital worker, right? So there is going to be a world where, you know, digital workers will do all things that is repetitive, maybe even some of the basic cognitive capabilities that humans have, they'll be able to do some of the thinking. And, uh, and, and, and essentially, they will start augmenting human thinking, you know, right? And, and humans will rely on them as, as, a, as another source of insight. And, 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 and that's how I think, you know, this will, this will evolve. And we've actually, you know, in Edgeverb uh, around, I think, four years ago, Hari, we put out a paper called Automation Singularity, where we actually have spoken about this very elaborately on how the future world will look, you know, the way I mentioned, where humans are actually doing what they're really good at. And, and that's really, I think, the big picture and technology is kind of enabling and pushing all of us towards that. You just mentioned uh, manufacturing. Um, can you give us a couple of examples? Give us a sort of one or two specific examples of how they use your platforms. Yeah. So, you know, actually, you know, I can name one, a few customers mm -hmm. Philips, as an example, you know, is leveraging our platform to run all their, uh, you know, financial, if you will, processes on top of the existing platform, the existing ERP platform, right? They have multiple instances of SAP, and our platform sits on top of these and actually manages their entire financial processes around, uh, you know, maybe month enclosures and weekly stuff and collections and 
you know, all kinds of different things. So, um, and these were all done by humans. As I said, you know, human beings used to do this kind of stuff. And now, you know, all these digital workers do all that work. Now, it has brought out, when, when, when COVID really hit, you know, there was tremendous benefit. You know, Phillips realized at that time because, you know, they were not necessarily dependent on humans to do a lot of this and digital workers continue to work. It didn't really matter to them. Uh, so that's that's just one one of those examples. Uh, the other is, you know, Mars, where, you know, our platform is helping Mars integrate all the data between multiple value chain partners and providing visibility to track palletized loads through their value chain and being able to put them on hold and manage their recall, et cetera. And there's tremendous automation built around this thing, right? And there's, you know, another example could be British Telecom. You know, they use a, a platform to augment their customer service agents and representatives to be able to serve their customers better. Not only, you know, it provides more efficiency and speed, uh, obviously it reduces handling time in that case, but it also, you know, augments the, customer service uh, capability in terms of thinking and access to knowledge so they can serve their customers better. So so these are some, you know, I think, you know, two, three examples where our platforms have been very successfully deployed. And there are many such across uh, different industries and many examples across uh, all the different geographies. From a sort of business model perspective, uh, I mean, in the sense that the way Infosys would offer these platforms to its, its customers, I'm curious about uh, how that part works. I mean, does this work like a SaaS company? They plug into your platforms with things like APIs or are the platforms offered as part of larger you know, solutions uh, with the traditional IT services and your digital technology services all rolled into it, or is it all of the above? How do these things work? Uh, a great question, Hari, again. I think it's, it's all of the above. We do have a, a SaaS offering where they can plug in and, and leverage this as a service. And, you know, we have published APIs through which they can integrate into, uh, into our platform, which is a multi-tenant hosted platform that we have running. We also, you know, have customers who, for various, you know, reasons of their own, would like to have a dedicated instance of this uh, running within their firewall and in their own cloud that they manage. And and then we we deliver, you know, this intellectual property to them and help them derive value that way. And in some cases, yes, it is also part of a larger transformation, digital transformation program, where, you know, our platform plays a certain role. In, in the larger digital transformation that Infosys or any of our other partners may be doing. So, so it is all the above, Hari. Okay. What are some of the pitfalls to be aware of in deploying uh, automation in general and AI-led uh, automation, if I can put it that way? Yeah, like, you know, again, any other technology one introduces into their ecosystem, it has its own, you know, there are promises and there are challenges as well. And, and whether, you know, if you look at intelligent automation specifically, you know, one is to identify these opportunities that are really measurable, right? It's you know, not necessarily, and unless you have a scientific methodical way of doing it, you know, you will, you'll never know what really you got out of it eventually. Mm. So, mm. so it is to make sure that you have a very methodical approach to identifying not only automation opportunities, but also when you de- deploy it to know exactly what you achieved by doing this, right? So, so, so more 
scientific way of doing this, right? Then, then I mentioned about digital workers, right? They have to be taught. They have to be taught what to do. And teaching has multiple ways of teaching it, right? There are many methods to teaching a digital worker what to do. And, and that, you know, has its own set of challenges one needs to manage through. Uh, even after, you know, we deploy these automations, you know, there are so many exceptions. So it's not like, you know, digital workers can keep doing it. They need help, right? Like, you know, if I don't know what to do, I reach out to someone who knows, or maybe my boss comes and helps me and, or whatever. Similarly, you know, digital workers also know only certain bits and pieces, and they may not know certain other elements of executing things. So there will be exceptions that will keep coming out of this. So the human will have to augment that and, and manage these exceptions. And also, you know, you know, you mentioned about, you know, security is obviously a, a huge thing to keep in mind because, you know, these are digital workers which have access to systems and access rights. And obviously, a lot of caution and precaution has to be taken in managing the technical challenges surrounding this, which also includes scale. You know, imagine an enterprise and I'll, you know, we have a few enterprises which have scaled well over 1,000, 2,000 digital workers right now live. Uh, running and doing different kinds of things for them. Uh, managing that kind of scale also has, brings its own complexity and it's a challenge to be to be handled. But more broadly, all of this sits in the context of, in the middle of humans. So it's very important to make sure that all the employees, you know, where this technology is going to be deployed, understand exactly uh, what what's being done. Why are we trying to do this? The change element around humans and their engagement and their comfort is extremely critical to make these kind of programs sustainable and successful and something that can scale across the enterprise. So, you know, we have to invest in human reskilling in many places, you know, and and there may be some job replacement and displacements that may happen and that has to be managed. Um, so, so that's one part of it. And many other AI challenges that you normally see with or without automation, AI challenges exist here as well you know, to mitigate through any biases that may be there, right, and, and, and manage through that, making sure that there's good quality data. Obviously, when you look at intelligent automation, the word intelligence essentially would mean that there's good quality data to learn. And as I mentioned, there are blind spots. So how do you cover those blind spots? And as we discussed earlier, there are areas where you actually don't have proper data. It is not structured. So investing in those. So it, it's very important as enterprises undertake this journey, they look at this a little more holistically in that sense, right? Making sure that the right data is there, good data is there, contextual data is there, and 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 it gets better over time. You know, you may not be able to see all the 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 the, the return on investments from day one, when, especially when AI comes in, but it does get better over time as it starts interacting with humans and start learning. So also all the things that I just mentioned earlier are things to watch out and many of them can be mitigated using technology and some others uh, will have to be you know managed and mitigated as uh, like any other large digital transformation program you would. What are some of the more difficult uh, things to grapple with you know, in terms of dilemmas, for example? I'm sure the, the, the popular uh, problem you've already come across if uh, an AI decides that somebody should not be given a loan. Uh, then what does the bank do? What's the right thing to do uh, in such a case? And there are probably many more complex uh, such dilemmas. Maybe you want to talk about that. Sure. I think it's a very uh, very pertinent question and which doesn't have any easy answers. 
you know, which is one of the reasons I mentioned earlier that, you know, when we do these things and undertake these programs, it's not like the humans are, are not engaged or involved. Because at the end of the day, it's really humans who are deciding the strategy, deciding the journey, and the digital workers are supporting and uh, helping and aiding. So I think it's especially when it comes to or see there are you know you you can look at the different levels of automation, right? You know you can do automation of tasks which are which does not have much decisioning to be done. Right? There's existing data. You look up that data and you do whatever calculation you need to do and move from system A to B and do all of that kind of stuff. You know, that's very repetitive in nature. You know, so that's kind of the low-hanging fruit. Less risky, you know, you probably get some quick wins around it. But as you move up that, you know, when you start introducing more and more cognitive capabilities and automations that need cognitive capability, you know, it becomes a little more complex. And that's when, you know, the challenges that you mentioned, you know, starts creeping in. And then if I can take an example of our own, one of the platforms that we have, which I mentioned earlier called Extract Edge. See, we are leveraging this platform to drive automation uh, around underwriting process for underwriters in insurance company, right? We, you know, it's, it's one of the most complex and, uh, and also probably one of, the, uh, one of the most important processes in an insurance company where we assess the risk, decide, you know, going back to what you just said, loan that triggered me this thought. And, and we actually have a solution which works with the underwriter, right? It, 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 it aids the underwriter with additional information, more contextual information. It may also make some recommendations, but finally it is the underwriter who takes the decision, right? It's almost like the way you want to treat it is that, you know, you have a buddy. And instead of you just making the decision yourself, you actually have a buddy who's also giving you a suggestion. And, 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 and how much you choose to leverage that uh, or discount it, it's, it's, it's your own choice, right, in that sense. But what's important is, you know, when, when, when a human makes a decision and that, that, that decision overrides what system said, the system, you know, with the right kind of context starts learning and starts getting better. And some of these are fuzzy in terms of how we decide. It may not be binary. There are very complex set of scenarios that goes through our own thinking. And many of it is very experiential in nature. It does not even have to do with the enormous amount of data that may be there, it's tremendous experience that we as humans have built out over many, many years. So, so yes, I think it gets better over time, but it's very important that, uh, that human beings are very engaged in this process. And, and they won't be necessarily standalone doing it uh, till a point where, you know, there is tremendous comfort. And you know, some element, even at that point in time, we may have to have makers and, and checkers in this. In fact, we have encountered certain situations where we have deployed digital workers as makers and digital workers as checkers. So that way there is a digital worker providing oversight to other digital workers, right? So all these things uh, are possible to mitigate. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, humans have to play a very important role in, in, in observing and validating and certifying and, and ensuring the digital workers are doing what they're supposed to do. Okay. I'm curious about uh, your view on uh, where this is all headed. Would you say that everything that can be automated will get automated? Uh, or maybe there are areas where you feel things should not be automated? Well, I think it is, um, look, it will get automated. I don't think there is any doubt about it. Everything that can be automatable will get automated. And also the perspective on what is automatable is also changing very rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, 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 
so that's the context with which I'm saying it. Uh, many things that we thought wouldn't be automated is getting automated as we speak today. And look, Ari, there is this whole thing which I keep talking about. You know, it says, look, the, the, the real, real, I think the real big picture is what if the cost of intelligence becomes zero? Mm. You know, I think it's a, it's something to ponder on. And I, I don't think even if we went back, you know, a few years ago, we would have thought, is it really possible? Look, when we started this company at Verb 2014 and 15, we were all debating about AI and what we can do. We came up with actually one of the, the, the first company probably to come up with an AI platform that could be used in the context of large enterprises. And then we believed that AI can be a significant game changer for enterprises and the larger society, a society at large as well. And, you know, Infosys was one of the early backers of the possibilities of AI and early backers of the OpenAI forum. And it's come a long way in the last eight years. And we can see that intelligence actually, the cost of intelligence can become zero. What is automatable? You know, you can look at, okay, automation, we thought is okay, manufacturing floor, and say blue collar workers and so on, so forth. And maybe, you know, strategic thinking is, will can never be automated, right? Never, ever. And, but, you know, Things have changed a lot. And if you look at the kind of things that automation, that intelligent automation has done in the drug discovery in the last year, two years, is phenomenal. What humans used to do for many years, looking at huge amount of diagnostic data and so on and so forth, now the systems can do it in, in minutes, if not seconds. Shrinking the drug discovery time and investment and cost by a significant order of magnitude. And that's just one such example. Uh, there are many examples where this is happening. And so I think, you know, I firmly believe it's it's natural uh, to say that everything that can get automated will get automated. And, and AI, I think, is going to be the game changer in that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of uh, deliberately stayed away from asking you about chat GPT earlier on in the conversation because obviously that's a whole conversation in itself and uh, although of course I am curious if there are any early instances of Infosys integrating some of those capabilities into Edgeworld platforms and so on. Given that you do uh, a lot of your work out of India, although today of course you are yourself a very connected enterprise and you have people all over the world. That said, uh, and again, I know that there isn't anything specific Indian or anything like that when it comes to uh, tech or AI and so on. Other than, of course, if you're looking at intellectual property that's developed inside India, uh, what opportunities do you see for India because of uh, all these advances in AI and automation for India? And what opportunities do you see in terms of anything that can be, that India is particularly well-suited to develop out of India? When we started this company, Hari, you know, when I was talking to analysts at that time, and we were showcasing our products. They were like, really, can India build products? Because we were known as a services ecosystem, a country which could provide tremendous world-class services, but they never associated products to us. And I still clearly remember talking to one of the analysts, and, and then they said, well, you guys have so many capabilities, but they were still very apprehensive that actually this came out of uh, India and then was built in Bengaluru. Uh, and, and from there... You know, we landed up becoming actually the first company, if you will, 
to be rated as a leader in the Forrester wave at that point in time, and then subsequently got by Gartner as well, a product based out of India. So, so yes, we've gone through our own, you know, if you will, enhancing our capability from pure services to products and now these digital platforms, which actually are, are of a significantly high order in terms of what they can actually do to enterprises in terms of agility and the low cost at which it can deliver value. But, you know, similarly, even in the AI space, you know, I, I think, you know, we're, we're, we are leading in, in, in many spaces. And, and I believe the demographics that we have and the, the, the number of people that we have, the varieties, of, you know, nuances that we have as a society, I believe is an advantage to us as we build these mega models and, and so on. People talk about language models. How many languages do we have in this country if we were to build a model as an example? So I think you know a lot of exciting stuff is possible in my view from uh, from India and, and based out of India. Okay, excellent, uh, Satish. Uh, in the small context of this conversation, anything specifically that you would like to highlight that I didn't ask you about or I just didn't know about? Uh, I just just want to mention that uh, the future is very exciting, uh, exciting for us as an edge as a company. I think it's very exciting for technologists in general. And I think it'll be very exciting for all the uh, adopters of technology as well. I think um, there's, there's, there's a lot of value to be created yet. And the kind of disruption I believe that will happen in the next 10 years will be far outreaching than what we saw in the last three, four decades. Okay, very nice. Uh, Satish, thank you so much again for making time for this wonderful conversation. And I always like to say that definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Sure, Hari. I truly appreciate uh, this time and it was great talking to you. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.